mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. We're going to be beginning in verse 16. But I want to remind you, as I always do, um, of what our previous lesson was about. Pick up on a few of the other uh, uh, fragments, playing on the words that's left here, the remnant that's our left. If you remember when we left, Jesus has went away to pray. He went on the mountain to pray. And something that I would always encourage you to do, we always talk about being the word, prayer, and fellowship. That's what the early church did in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in those three things, and that's why you and I have the gospel today. Now, it does not necessarily have to be in that order because I always believe that prayer is first. You pray, you become dependent upon God. He's going to tell you to get in the Word. The Spirit is going to take the Word of God and wash and cleanse you and cause you to pray more because the more you see who you are, the more you will see the grace of God and the more you will want to draw closer to God and find out what kind of love this is that would forgive a wretched sinner like me. That's what we need to do. And because we all need that Savior. So he goes away to pray. But I want to point out a couple other things just about the miracle that we've seen where Jesus has just taken five loaves of bread, little barley loaves, and two fish, and he breaks them and he hands them out to his disciples and they hand them out to others. They become servants. They go out and they serve the other people. But listen, they're obeying the voice of God. You know, Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. So if you and I want to see growth in our life, if we want to see Christ in our life, we have to listen to the voice of God. And as we get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, He's going to always give us a supply. That's what He's doing right now. He's equipping us for the work of the ministry. And then we take what we get and we go out and we give it to others. We hand it out to others, but we always have to come back to Jesus. And then if you'll remember with me, when this is all over, what do they do? They take up 12 baskets of fragments of barley bread that's left over. One for each of the disciples, the, uh, the A team, not the B team. They have the apostles, not the B apostles. And they all have a basket. Now, listen, when you obey the voice of God, you will reap the fruit. While they were listening to the voice of God, doing the work of God, becoming servants like God, 
Then all the while, God was leaving the fragments there for them to pick up a whole basket and provide for them. That's the way washing and cleansing works. But if you're still over here looking at the basket, focused on the basket, it's always going to be empty. You can't focus on the sign that Jesus did. You have to focus on the work that he's called you to do, serving others. As believer priests, what do believer priests do? They serve God. Well, how do believer priests serve God? They serve the people. They become someone who receives from God, and then you take it to the people and you serve them. But the problem in the church today is we're all so selfish. We don't want to go serve anybody else. We are only worried about ourselves. The devil gets us focused only on me. How can I go serve them when I haven't even taken care of me? Well, that's the way the kingdom works. It's upside down. You go serve and he fills your basket. That's the sign that you're surrendered to Jesus, that the spirit of God is in you. As you serve, he takes care of you naturally. You're doing your natural. He's doing supernatural over here, which is a natural thing. You come back, you got a whole basket that shows a sign that you've been serving God, that you've been walking by faith. But the temptation is always this. I'm going to start staring at the basket now because it's got so many remnants in it. It's got so much stuff in it. I'm going to start staring at the basket. You always look for Jesus. When the child of God looks into the word of God and sees the son of God, he's transformed by the spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. The fruit comes in the dying to self and serving others. Your basket will be filled. It will become the proof it will become the witness. It will become your provision because my God will supply for all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But if you get focused upon the sign, it can become the stumbling block. It can become the deception. See, an evil and perverse generation seeks after a sign, but none will be given except for the testimony of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days. That's the sign that is given. And, and listen, signs aren't evil. They just don't produce saving faith. Signs will draw you in, but they don't produce saving faith. Why? Because God's already ordained what produces saving faith. Think about it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The very thing that produced the disbelief in the garden, Eve was listening to another voice, and she quit believing the voice of God. And she trusted the, un she began to have unbelief, and she trusted another voice. Faith comes by hearing. It doesn't come by signs. Now, signs will follow true faith because we see it in the text. The basket's full. Somehow Jesus, in his, in his sovereignty over all things, he feeds probably 15,000 people with five little buns and two fish. And everybody is totally full. They're gluttoned. They're totally full. They're sitting in little groups, fellowshipping together, eating food, having a meal with God, something that he longs to do with all of his people. And yet we're going to find that Almost all of these people walk away. Listen, there's a lot of things going on in this text. Almost all of these people later on in 666, John 666, they walk away because God calls them not to the food, but to commitment to him, the bread of life. He calls them to be servants like the disciples were doing. 
And that's what he's doing in our lives when he gives us some place to serve, when he gives us some place to go, when he gives us a place to be together. He's calling us to do it according to his kingdom, by the power of his spirit, according to his word, not according to the signs. Very important. Listen, Judas, listen, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, the only one that's lost, he was serving also. But where was his heart at? His heart was someplace else. He wasn't giving his heart to God. He wasn't giving his heart to the service, but he's right there with them, coming to Jesus and getting some bread, and he's going out. But the whole time we find the testimony that his heart wasn't with God. He wasn't trusting God. He was looking at the money bag. He was looking at the basket, and he was trying to get stuff for himself. And he even sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver because he wants the world. He wants the money. He wants the pomp. He wants everything else, but he doesn't want a relationship of intimacy with God. He doesn't want to lift Jesus up. He wants himself to be lifted up. And so we have to always be careful with what we're doing and why we're doing it and come back to the Word of God. And what does the Word of God do? Well, it's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it is a judge, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Because we know our memory verse this week, right? Everybody knows it, James 1.22. And be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. See, because we'll deceive ourselves. I'm good, I went to church. I'm good, I didn't sort my socks this week, I went to church. I'm good, I served some people some bread. I'm good, listen, there's none good but God. And there's no work you can do, we're going to see next week probably in the text, except believe in him whom God has sent. The anointed, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who died for your sins. That's the only work we can really do, is believe in his finished work on the cross. So Judas is there with him. He's doing the work also. And we have to be very, very careful not to follow the signs. The just shall live by faith, following the author and the finisher of our faith, who is Jesus. We keep listening for his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We keep following his voice, not the sign, not the basket, not, not, not the world's goods. We keep seeking his voice because you know what? Things can be going great. And just like we talked last week, what did he do with Philip? Revivals broke out in Samaria. And he says, Philip, go down to Gaza. And he has one person down in Gaza that he's concerned about, an Ethiopian eunuch. So if you're focused on the basket, the revival, you don't hear the voice of God. You don't go when God calls you and you miss the blessing of God. You miss the fruit and the rewards that come with being washed and cleansed because you're obeying God. But if you get your eyes on the lion, signs and wonders, guess what happened? Because that's the next thing. The next thing on your life when you begin to follow God, when you begin to serve as God's called you to do, when you say, okay, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow after Jesus. I'm going to begin to be a servant. And I can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in the joy of the Lord, when you begin to do that, then you're going to get set up for the lying signs and wonders. And that's really what's coming on the realm right now, what you're going to see. And I want to look at that. Look at Matthew 24. Uh, we'll look at Matthew 24. I know Michael cringes every time I say Matthew because he's teaching Matthew. I'm teasing. 
He doesn't really. But I want you to see this because we do not want to get focused on signs. Do signs follow? Yes, they're fruit. We can see the wonder of God. We can grow in the truth of God, our identity with God. We can see even more and more and be encouraged of His sovereignty and His power and that He knows everything. Remember, He was proving Philip, getting him ready for Samaria. And when you look at Matthew 24... You know, the, the whole context of this discourse begins with Jesus telling them the temple is going to be destroyed uh, and that there's going to be these things go on. And they say, well, when's all this going to happen? And in verse 4, he says, take heed that you do not be deceived. Planeo. It means to roam from safety. It, 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 planeo means uh, to, to cause to roam from safety, from truth or virtue, to go astray, to be seduced or be out of the way. And see, this is, the, this is the point. When you get your eyes off of Jesus, you get them on the basket. You get them off of Jesus, you get them on the crowd. You get them off of Jesus and, and away from serving and listening to his voice, then you begin to follow the wrong way, and it seduces you into thinking this is the better way. Why is there apostasy today and the church has fallen away from the faith? Because they have their eyes off of Jesus, even though they know the Word of God. And they're looking at trying to reform society. They're looking at trying to be politically correct. They're looking at trying to be nice and just love, love, love. But they're not looking at becoming conformed to the image of God. They're not looking at what Paul says to the church of Rome. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, considering the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, listen, to the flesh, to the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, do not be deceived. If we don't become doers of the word that we hear, we deceive ourselves because we say, I'm hearing you, Lord. I hear your voice. I see what you're saying. I, I've read your word. And then you go away and you do nothing. You, you, don't, you don't go out of yourself and serve people and give the gospel away and become that which Christ is. Then you're deceiving yourself. You're pretending like you're okay. You're sounding like you're okay. But faith without the works that accompany it is dead faith. It's demon faith. Faith without works is dead. It's not real faith. It's not true faith. If there's no works that accompany it, it is not true faith, James would tell us. So he says in 2424, listen, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Listen to me. That's what's on the realm. That's what's next is false signs and wonders causing even the elect, if it were possible, to be led away, planeo, out of the way, living in a way that's not right. So Jesus says, will I even find faith when I come? Oh, Jesus says lawlessness will abound because even in the church, we're not obeying his word. We're being rebellious to one another and to the authorities and everything else instead of living in a way that is pleasing to God by dying to self, letting him live through us and serving others and giving out the bread of life. 
That's what we're called to do, to become ambassadors for Christ, as if Christ was pleading to us, be reconciled to God. There's no other message. How can I be reconciled to God? Wait a minute, let's back up. Why do I need to be reconciled to God? Because we're all confined under sin. And there's going to be a judgment one day. And the only way to escape the judgment is to believe that Jesus died on the cross and yea, rose again on the third day. That's how we become ambassadors that represent the kingdom of God and our Savior. But the next thing that's coming on the, is these lying signs and wonders. Oh, everything's going to get better. Peace, peace. And then sudden destruction comes. And the church is led away fighting this political battle, this battle in the flesh. We're trying to, to clothe and feed and do things that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Because if God didn't call you to do it and it's not done by faith, then it's sin. And we have to get this. We need to get the word of God, not following signs, not going where the water's moving like we've seen with the crippled man. Oh, if, you, if the water moves, whoever gets in first. See, these are made-up religions, made-up signs, made-up wonders that we see everywhere. I remember when a guy told me in a parking lot, I know him very well, I, and he said, well, Joe Olstein must be doing something right. He's filled up that stadium. Joe Olstein is doing everything wrong on purpose to fill up the stadium. Broad is the gate to destruction. Narrow is the way to life, and few find it. There must be a death to self, crucifixion with Christ, and then raising again in the newness of life and allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to lead us for the glory of God. But we have all of these great things rising. Take heed that no one deceives you. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Listen, if I never teach any other scriptures, maybe I'll teach these every single week. The church has to awake to arise from the dead and Christ will give us light. And then when he gives us light, if you say you're awake, then he says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And that means making the most of the time. Getting the most work done by the power of the Spirit according to the Word of God for the glory of God. I'm not going to read all of 2 Thessalonians. I know some of you would love to dig into that. But just start in verse 9. It says, 2-9, 2 Thessalonians, the coming, the appearing, the coming of the lawless one, Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan. With, it's going to accompany. When the lawless one comes, it will be accompanied by, that's what with, para, all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, deception, that's planeo, among those who perish. See, the church is not among those who perish. So we should not be caught with our hands down and follow the spirit of this world if we truly are saved. Well, who are those who perish? Because Jesus died for the whole world. He wanted everybody to come to repentance. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved 
For that reason, God will send them strong delusion, deception, that they should believe, trust in the lie that they all may be condemned, judged eternally, who did not believe the truth but had pleasure, desires in unrighteousness. Listen, there was the greatest gift ever given, given. And we received some other Jesus. If we're not in the scriptures learning who that Jesus is, we can be bewitched like Eve was and trust in the wrong Jesus. We need to know today, before this heart stops beating, that we are certainly serving the correct Messiah. We have received Christ according to God's word, not according to a denomination. Listen, not according to the world, but according to Christ. Because God is going to bring this. And in fact, the Bible tells us that God brings a famine for the word of God. You know, when you you taste and see that he is good, you should keep tasting. You should want more. When you've come to Christ, you should want to go for Christ. But if those things aren't happening, we have to ask ourselves, Do I even believe in Christ? Have I even received Christ? Listen, if you think it's not possible to hear about it, they've seen him personally, his own nation that was waiting for him. They were looking for him. They were talking about him. They said, the promises of God come through our nation. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to be, or the privilege to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So it's really easy for us in America, this selfish nation that teaches us whoever gets the most toys wins, that teaches us some other ungodly religion that we follow and we pursue and we think that we're okay because we're born in America. We are the most selfish people on the planet if we're not living for Jesus. Because we're so proud, we will sit and say, that'll never happen to us. How do you think the nation of Israel felt when they knew the promises of God come through them? And they just got proud in their own selves. So proud that they killed the Messiah that they were waiting for, preaching about, talking of. And that's what we do in our churches. If we do not sit down, pray, get in the Word and study and build this intimate relationship, we kill the very spirit. We we quench it. We grieve it. We insult it. We lie to it that is there to wash us and cleanse us, to make us like Christ, to send us out with power to serve. We kill that same spirit because he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his will upon you. He's not going to make you read the Bible. He's not going to make you pray. Now, there's things going to come that will prove, just like here. Philip, what shall we do that these might eat? He's proving him. And so you should look at the things going on in your life and go, what does it prove about my heart? God's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to save you. So he's trying to show you the proof of your heart. He's trying to show you the proof of your life. He's trying to show you the things that you're worshiping, the things you're in love with, the things that you're not doing that you should be doing in his kingdom for spirit and truth. He's not trying to kill us. He's like, I love you. I didn't come to judge you. I came to save you. And everything that happens is to prove you, to test you, to try you, so that you might know what's in your heart, so that you might know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the thing that's going on is we hear the word, we see the word, we read the word, we go, oh, praise Jesus. 
but we're not doers of the work of the word. We go back out and we do what we want to do in sin and self and Satan. We pursue what we want to pursue and what everybody else is pursuing. And since they're pursuing it, we say, must be okay. But that is planeo. That is people coming in Jesus' name, his character, his nature, his will, and they're leading us in a wrong direction. And we know that the spirit of Antichrist has been here since the beginning. So we don't want to follow them. We don't want to look at the results. We want to hear the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's staying in the way with, not let out of the way from. Deception is one. True salvation is the other. You're not staying in the way for salvation. You're not working for salvation. These are things that we do because of, as a result of true receiving, true believing, true intimacy with Christ. And it's just a natural thing. Listen, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to fight for it. There's abiding in the vine. You get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. You ask God to help you witness, and you be the witness, the testimony, a, a trophy of grace standing in the victory. And I guarantee you, people will walk up. People will want to know. You'll have no, you'll have too many opportunities to share Jesus. Too many. It'll happen everywhere you go. But you have to trust God to open your mouth. Do not be deceived. The lying signs and wonders are everywhere to lead us into deception, into complacency. And bring us into strong delusion so that we think we're okay. Isn't that what was happening to the nation of Israel? They were under strong delusion. They thought they were fine. It's imperative that one die for the whole nation. And they killed Jesus. And who'd they choose? Barabbas. Who was Barabbas? Barabbas, Bar is son, and Abbas is father. He was the son of the father. They chose the wrong son of the father. And that's what Antichrist is trying to set us up to do, to choose, instead of Christ, Antichrist. That's what it means, instead of. To choose the way of Antichrist, the way of the world. That's why we have to understand. First thing you have to understand, verse that God gave me when I first got saved, 1 John 1, 9. I haven't stopped preaching it because it's important. I know you are of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. So see, if you're not following close behind, staying in the way with, having an intimate relationship with, then you're under the sway, marching to the beat of the drum of the wicked one, Antichrist. There's not more than one way to follow Christ. There's only one way to be in a marriage with Christ and be washed and cleansed. It's His way. So be careful only looking at the signs. And Mark, when we've studied that book, how does Mark close? Signs and wonders will follow true faith. It does happen. It's amazing to watch the things that God does. But we want to keep our eyes fixed on his voice, his word. That's what's under attack. 66 books by 40 authors. His word. What did he say? The devil said to Eve. And then he comes and creates an entire religion that says, do what thou wilt. You don't have to listen to the voice of God. You can do whatever you want. You can roam wherever you want. Go wherever you want. You said a prayer. Do whatever you want. 
Well, true salvation chooses to follow close behind Jesus so that we don't get lost. We need that light, not just in our heart on Sunday, but on our path all week long so we can tell other people about this great salvation. So in this morning's text, that was an introduction. In this morning's text, which is John 6, 16, while Jesus is praying on the mount, and if you read the other text, that's what he did. He fed the 5,000. He knew the boys were trying to get rest. They had just returned from their 70-day journey out, casting out demons and finding out that the power was in the name of Jesus. And he said, don't rejoice that you cast out demons. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And you've been redeemed. And so they were tired. And here comes these whole crowds. And he says this to Philip. How are we going to feed them all? And he's proven him on the lessons that he's already learned. And then after he feeds them all and they obey and they're serving, what does he do? He puts them in the boat and he says, go to the other side. And then he goes up on the mountain and he prays. He's praying for them. Why? Because they're in the boat. Well, how do they get in the boat? He put them in the boat. Well, what's the boat? It's the fellowship. It's the body of Christ. We're all in it together. See, first we're proving one at a time, Philip, but now we ought to understand that now we put us all in the same little boat, the same little ship, and we got to work together. And they're in the boat all afraid. And Jesus, who's praying with them, why, why aren't they both afraid? Because there's a storm. Wait a minute, they're fishermen. Why should they be afraid? They've been in boats all their life. But they've been in the boat for the wrong reason, with the wrong heart, doing the wrong thing. See, now they're trying to live for Jesus, and it ain't the same. This ain't the same anymore. The trees don't look the same. The fish don't smell the same. Nothing is the same now that I'm a spiritual man and not a physical man. So you have to get out there on faith. And then it's dark. You have to get out there on faith. You can't see. Dark everywhere. Listen to me. This is very important. Because you would think fishermen would be fine in a boat on the water. That's where we've been all my life. See, because I, when, I, when I find myself being comfortable, I look around and go, where's the devil at? See, because all my life I've been in that boat where I'm comfortable with my flesh. But it's when I'm uncomfortable that I know i got to trust God. This is not my comfort zone going into Payless and sharing with the meat cutter. This is not my comfort zone going to the gas station and say, how you doing? But talking crazy and being in the flesh is. That's easy to do. It's easy just to run about. But when you're on mission with God, trusting in the Holy Spirit, now you have to get out of your comfort zone. And you have to trust in the comforter that he's going to bring fruit out of you getting out of your comfort zone. And walking in the Spirit and asking God, what do you want to do? I better read this, hadn't I, and then pray, because I'm still introductioning. Is that a word, introductioning? I didn't think so, but it is in my dictionary. I got my own. You know how the media's got their own dictionary, and they all say the same thing to brainwash you and deceive you into listening to them and thinking that they're all talking about the same thing, but they made up the words so that you would have them in your brain now and that that would establish what you think? That's what the media does, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Whether you call it the left or the right or the good media, there's no good media. There's absolutely nothing good on TV for you that tells you of what's going on in the world. The only thing you need to know about what's going on in the world is right here. 
Guess what? We're in a fellowship. There's a storm. It's dark. Lawlessness. It's going to happen. Jesus went away. He's in heaven praying for us, but he's coming again. And when he comes, are you going to be afraid of him and miss him? One of the texts says he would have walked right by him. Or are you going to be in the boat waiting for him? See, that's what's going on. This is a picture of rapture, actually. This whole thing, this boat right here, this little five scriptures is a picture of the rapture. They're in the fellowship. They're on the water, many waters. That's what's going on. The spirit of Babylon, many waters, right, is Babylon. Babylon, I'm not going to go into all of it, but Babylon has a dragon. It represents it. The dragon is Leviathan, which is the monster or the serpent of the sea. I could go into all of it. We're not going to. I don't want to confuse you because if you're not a Berean, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But we're in the fellowship. It's dark because the, the evil is being allowed to be opened up and, and death culture is allowed to kill. And now we're afraid. We're going, what is going on? Are they going to kill me next? Are they going to cancel me next? And we're in the boat together. And notice that, we're not, that, that this text about the rapture and the end time and the finality of darkness, that we're waiting for Jesus to come, but he hasn't come yet. But when he does, he's going to be walking on the waters all the waters. He's going to be walking on the sea. He has dominion over all of this. Listen to me. He's coming. And what happens? Immediately, they're at the other side. That's rapture. When he comes, we're going to be gone. And the glory that we will enjoy then will be nothing compared to the suffering we're going to have down here. But he's coming. But notice it's not about Peter. The other text, the other two of the texts they have it, Luke doesn't record this. You know, you can look at it a couple different ways. Do they, does John not record it because John is the grace of God, the gracious gift of God? Is he giving grace to Peter? Because you go, but wait a minute, he walked on water. But yeah, then he started to sink. He got his eyes on the world, the physical battle, the storm. And he didn't have his eyes on Jesus, so he began to sink. So is it the grace of God not recording his sin in this book? Because the other two uh, evangelists, they didn't mind recording it. Peter got right out of the boat. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And he steps out of the water. And then the waves come. And he began to sink. And he said, Lord, help me. And Jesus took his hand and put him back in the boat. And then got in the boat with him. See, he's with us in the storm. He's with us. You got cancer? He's with you. He loves you. Nick and Renee, daughter in the hospital, he's with them. The storm is right now. The storm is real. It's dark. It's frightening. It's painful. But Jesus is here and he changes everything because we know he's sovereign and he knows what's going on. And we know that he came to give life and to destroy the works of the devil. So that gives me hope. I know that whatever he's doing is to prove me, to test me, to try me, to get me across the finish line that where he is, I may be also. So he says later, we'll see in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. And where I go, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And he's coming soon, but he hasn't come yet. And it's getting dark. And the waves are crashing over the boat. And we can say, Oh, one text says, careth thou not if we perish? And he's already in the boat with them. See, but they're all writing from different places of the perspective. They're not contradicting one another. 
One of them says Jesus got him into the boat, and then he went away to pray. Here it just says he went away to pray. Doesn't even tell us he put him in the boat. But you're not getting in the boat unless the Spirit of God puts you in the boat. You cannot be in the body of Christ unless the Spirit of God baptizes you into the boat. You can't be in the fellowship. So looking at the signs don't get you into the fellowship. Being a part of it doesn't get you into the fellowship. Judas didn't make it because he resisted the Spirit of God. Looking at God and His provision is the only thing that gets you into the fellowship. And then you have to begin to obey, not for, but because He has created you in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. Notice where He's walking, on all the waters. You can walk with Him. The many waters, the whole world has nothing for you. You can walk with Him and do the work that He's doing. Greater works then these you will do, he said to his disciples. If we trust the Spirit of God, if we allow the Spirit of God to use our lives, if we stop looking at self and begin to get outside and go do what he's called us to do, what is your Ephesians 2.10? What is you? What, did you call, what were you called to do? What are you workmanship for God? What's your gifts? What's your talents? What's your ability? Because he's called you to walk in them. He created you in them, in Christ Jesus. But if you're in the world, under the sway of the wicked one, you're still worried about sin and self and Satan, and you don't care about doing the work of God, the will of God, then you're self-deceiving yourself. You're not receiving the word of God to become a doer. You're receiving the word of God because you think you're okay. But it's in the witness. It's in the action. It's in the Okay, Jesus, and it's taking it out to the people and breaking it, and then you pick up your basket and you go back with it, and you get to take that back to your family. You've got a whole basket full. Those people just got some fragments to fill their belly. You've got enough for everybody you need to give it to in your basket as a reward. I know most people look at that like a rebuke, and it can be, but it's a reward. Your basket is full of fruit because you were serving with God by the Spirit of God, listening to the voice of God and obeying God. Now you've got a whole basket of fruit to take with you. It's a reward. It's a picture of the rapture and the rewards that come with serving God. But it's all His, and we'll lay it at His feet. Did He ever read the text? That's what I want to know. And then pray. Okay. Just for a record, I prayed before I came, so I'm prayed up. But we can always use a lot more prayer. I was teasing. It was facetious, Mark. Quit looking at me crazy. I was being facetious. You know how Joel Olstein says, you don't need anybody to pray for you. You can pray for yourself. That's called demonic from the pit of hell. Sorry. Let's get back on this text. Where was it? Oh, 16 of John chapter 6. I was just having fun. Now when evening came, isn't it evening now? His disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. What land are you going to? Huh? Where are you going? 
listen, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a pilgrim here. This is not my home. I'm looking for a, a kingdom not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavenlies. That's the land I'm going to. And when I see Jesus, I get closer to it every single day. When I open the word of God and I look for the son of God, the spirit of God reveals him to me. And then I become more like him. What about you? This is what we want to be encouraged to do is to get into the word of God and be washed and cleansed. But guess what? If you believe in Jesus, we're all at the same place regardless. That's the positional salvation. Positionally, every single one of us, when we believe, we're exactly the same. We got different giftings. We have different personalities. We have different sin. We have different things going on in our life. We got different places we're called to go. But we all positionally are just as saved as anybody else. I don't care what you're doing. And you go, well, wait a minute. I got all this sin. Jesus paid for this sin. Quit focusing on the storm and start looking at Jesus. The devil loves to get us focused on the storm, and then you begin to sink. Focus on doing the work of the ministry, to being a witness. Focus on the place of your position, and your basket will fill up. And he'll wash you and cleanse you, and the practice of sin will go away because you're practicing righteousness. But if you stay focused on the sin, they'll lie to you, deceive you, and you'll be following a program, you'll be following a person, you'll be pretending, you'll be doing all these crazy things and not even realizing you just strayed from safety, which is that Jesus paid for all your sins. He's brought you back into the house of God. I'm not telling you to stay in your sin or giving you an excuse to continue in your sin. God forbid. That's not a new nature. That's not a new spirit. That's the old flesh being fed. Father, we give you praise and we ask you to help us understand the boat we're in. To help us understand what you're saying to the church. Thank you for this gracious testimony of how Jesus deals with the hearts and lives of his people. Help us to be a witness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when evening came, listen, it's evening. It's evening. It's the last hour, little children. It's the last hour. His disciples, that's his pupils, that's his learners, that's those who are listening for his voice and want to become like him, went down to the sea. Listen, that's what the church is called to do, to go to the sea, to go to the many waters, to go to every place, all nations. Why? Because Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said to them after he rose, all authority, all power has been given to me. Go therefore and teach all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even when you can't see him, he's here. God is spirit. Look, so they went down to the sea. They went to the many waters. They went to the world. Got into the boat, the fellowship. It's actually ship in uh, uh, the King James. It's, it's interesting that they went down to the sea and, and you look it up and it says sea. And then you look, I'm going, I got to have more. So I look up, where'd that come from? It derives from a word called salt. 
See, we're the salt of the earth. So it's important that we understand that. They got into or entered into, they walked into and embarked, and it's a vessel, into the ship. It's a ship. It's a vessel. that plunges through water. See, we can go and go right through all the other spirits. That's Water is usually a spirit. We can go right through all the other isms in the world, in the fellowship, if we know the Word of God. Me and my brother talked to a Muslim man the other day, and he had plenty of questions, and we were talking to him. We talked to him for about an hour and a half with the gospel and either he's the most militant guy on the planet that's that's good that's part of the takeover and jihad or he is getting ready to get saved he was from pakistan and and, and it was amazing to talk with him he had some great questions and he told us right while we were talking to him he said i ask all the other christians and they say i don't know and you guys are giving me answers of what the bible says and text and 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 so he was like like going wow so like I said, either he was the most militant and he was very calm and he was listening and taking notes or he's really close to getting saved and him and his family will be their eternity changed when he comes out of a religion that he's been indoctrinated into from Satan. I was blown away by it. But anyway, 17. What did they do? They got into the boat. Now listen to me. If you read the other text, John's not focusing on it with the grace. Jesus takes them to the boat. Jesus tells them to get in the boat. Jesus tells them we're going to the other side. And this is just telling us the grace of God, their obedience. Listen, it leaves out the instructor. God gives us all the glory. He gives us the privilege. He's allowing us to go even though we're hearing his voice. When we go, we're being equipped and we go. I think we need to be wise though. Daniel 2, maybe? I think Daniel, he said, uh, don't look at me like I'm wise. The God in heaven will give an interpretation of your dream, Nebuchadnezzar. And he made sure that he was pointing to God and lifting up God when he had to tell him the dream and then the interpretation of the dream. You know, because he was going to kill all the other sorcerers and magi. They said, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, this has never been asked for, ever. See, because people want to lie to you. They want to tell you lying signs and wonders and act like they're smart, but they're using earthly, central, demonic wisdom. We see it in 2 Timothy 3 where Janus and Jambres, what did they do? They resisted Moses. Moses was one drawn out. He came and said, let my people go. You should, you should always look back at this. Listen. You should always look back at this because, you know, when you look up this word sea, you know what you find? It always refers to the Mediterranean or to the Red Sea. And yet they're on the Sea of Galilee. Galilee means the heathen circle. Listen, because the same way that Jesus is going to be on this sea with them, he was with them at the Red Sea when Moses led the people through the Red Sea. He parted one water, this one he's walking on because he's in control of all of them. You don't have to worry about the other things. We're overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. If we would just grasp who it is that we walk with, we live with, we have a relationship with, we're betrothed to, who came to get us, you cannot overpower the strong man. 
but you can resist him, ignore him, walk away from him, not listen for his voice. You can be deceived into following yourself and thinking you're okay instead of having evidence, giving testimony by the very actions of what you do after you meet him. That's what God has given us to see whether we're following him or not. But we stay listening to his voice. We don't look at the bread in the basket and go, I'm saved because there's bread in the basket. Really? Did it get did it get really moldy like it did when they give it to him in the wilderness? If you collect more than your daily bread, it gets moldy. They gave him permission to seek to, to get two days worth at one time because of the Sabbath. But see, it needs to be a fresh daily walk with God. Or that bread will get moldy. You can't just say, I got bread in there. They got into the ship. Are you in the ship or do you just uh, believe in Jesus and you could care less what the rest of the body is going on? Because everybody in the boat affects everybody in the boat. These are fellowships. We are the church. We're the living stones. It's nothing to do with this building. This building has absolutely nothing to do with it. This is just happens to be the way culture meets today in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. This day actually has nothing to do with it. It just happens to be the tradition of the church since Jesus rose on the first day that we meet on Sundays to be equipped. But you can meet any day, every day, and you should be meeting every day, any day, and fellowshipping with other people or you're going to get sucked in and deceived by the spirit of this world. And they went over the sea toward Capernaum. Now listen, I'm doing this really slow because this is such amazing stuff. So here they go. They get in the boat and they go toward. That's their intent. I'm going toward Capernaum, which means village of comfort. It became Jesus' headquarters. It means village of comfort. I'm going towards where I'm supposed to be, where I'm positionally seated with Christ Jesus. I'm on the sea. There's storms raging. But my intent of my heart is to go there, to be like him, to be in the boat with him. I want him there. That's what they're doing. They're obeying. And it was already dark. Listen, it's dark. It's dark out there. It's dark. Metaphorically, that's used um, metaphorically, it's used of ignorance of divine things and associated with exposing wickedness. Metaphorically, it's dark. Wickedness is dark, obscure. Is another way to put it. Dimness. But God's light shines in and opens it all up. With him in the boat, we have light to see the wickedness that lies, the whole world lies under. All the seas, many waters. But it says it's already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Are you at a dark hour? 11th hour, 59 minutes, you're like, what? It is crazy. I, this is more than I can handle. It's dark. This is getting crazy, and Jesus hasn't come yet. Where is he at? He's praying. 
that you'll be proved, you'll be tested, that you'll learn, that you'll surrender, that you'll hear the voice and follow his voice and not have to have his person there because you know he's coming. We know the truth. He's coming. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll always be with him. And we should encourage one another with these words. He's coming. We're going to the other side. He keeps his promises. He cannot lie. You can trust him, but you have to surrender. You can't keep doing what you want to do. You can't keep in in the face of all the adversity saying, well, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live in my own esteem. I'm going to follow the American dream. I'm going to do what the news says. You can't do that and think you're going to go with Jesus because you're not in the boat. You're not in the boat unless you are surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit. You're rejecting the voice of God the same way that Eve did. It's a good old-fashioned sin nature. That's not the work of a new nature in the Spirit of God. We are rebellious still, but we're trying to surrender. We're not walking in open rebellion and calling ourselves Christians. Yet you see that everywhere in the streets today. You see that everywhere in the churches today. You see people rising up against their pastors. You see people rising up against other sheep. Instead of trying to give grace and mercy and love and pray for people, they just rise up and divide and and talk about and gossip and hate. That's not the church. That's darkness. That's obscurity. That's dimness. That's nothing that anybody wants to be a part of. It's not Christ. It's not the fellowship. But he's not come yet, but he's on his way. I bet he's standing up. I bet we're in the last hour and he's standing up. And I hate it because I still want to see other people get saved. I want to see other people bear fruits worthy of repentance. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Because you can see a life of the spirit. The life changes. The mind changes. The heart changes. The basket starts to fill up because they died itself. But when that isn't happening, you know, you just know. As Jesus said, you can tell a tree by its fruit, epigonoskos, by what it bears. If the basket is still all about me, if the basket is still all about sin and selfishness and Satan, then they're not saved. They're not a tree of righteousness. And all one has to do is come. He says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it's dark and he hasn't come. And in verse 18, it says, then the sea arose to wake fully, to arouse. Listen, many waters, the storm, one world government and a Christ kingdom. Oh, it might be a smaller one in your life because you don't even understand that that's going on in the world. But this is that God's allowing it to rise. Listen to me. Arose. It means to wake fully, to arouse, to awake, to stare up. The word stir up is used in 2 Peter 1.13 this way. Yes, I think it right, though you know and are established in the present truth, 
Yes, I think it right as long as I am in this tent, that's my body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off this tent, he said, and I will always leave a witness stirring you up. Oh, 2 Peter 3, 1. It's used again. We're supposed to be stirred up. What did I have marked? Oh, 2 Peter, not 1 Peter. Are you stirring people up? And let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but encourage one another to love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see the darkness. Uh, 3, 1, 2 Peter. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, their own desires, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For, they, for this they willfully forget. It's a choice that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. That was judgment of Noah's day. But the, but verse seven, the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That's what's coming next. You know, when. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh, Moses being a type of Christ, what did he tell him? He said, let my people go. But why? That they may serve me. See, people who are called to Christ are supposed to be servants. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And they said, uh, Pharaoh said, Pharaoh, who's a type of the devil and Egypt, a type of the world. He said, uh, no, serve him here in the land. We can't serve him in the land. Uh, you go, but leave your children in your possessions. You know how many parents do that? I can't wait to get to church and put my child into the daycare so I can rest. Instead of being worried about that child's salvation and heart, Listen, we get our eyes on the storm and we say, it's so hard. I need my time. You're called as a steward to take care of your children. All of us are. So Pharaoh first challenges you to, to you get right, but leave your children, leave your possessions. He wants your children. He wants to kill the next generation. That's why God says, train them in the way they're supposed to go. You're responsible for them. I'm responsible for them. Let my people go that they may go into the wilderness. Or what, Moses? Remember what happened, the first plague? What happened? Aaron takes Moses' rod and throws it down. It becomes a serpent. What does Janice and Jambres do? They go, we can do that. Lion signs and wonders. They threw theirs down and it became serpents. What does God's word do? Eats their, their snake. He's a, it's actually a crocodile, but... I'm not going to go into that. Eats their staff because God is sovereign over all of their magic line signs and wonders. Then what happens? 
Let my people go so that they can serve the Lord in the wilderness freely, out of the world, away from Satan, privileged to serve and worship God. And they turned all the water, the rivers, the, 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 the seas, the ponds to blood. Think about that, from water to blood. You're born in water, and then you're born in blood. You're born twice. They turned it to blood. And the magicians, I don't know where they got their water, but they turned some more water into blood. They did it also. Lying signs and wonders. Then what happened, Greg? Then he says, let my people go that they may go serve the Lord. Frogs all over the land. Frogs everywhere. You know what the church does? We, we turn it into some euphemism when we say, frog means fully rely on God. No, it was a curse that was brought upon Egypt. You know what the Janus and Jambres do? They go with their magic incantations. They create more frogs. If you really have power, get rid of the frogs. Don't create more frogs. If you really have power, get rid of the bloody water. Don't create more of it. Think about it. If you really have power and you want to give life, you don't create more inflation. You don't create more war. You don't create more death. You don't kill more babies. If you really want life, you stop all that. If you really have power, but you don't have any power, you're serving the devil. So the next one, what does God do? All those frogs die. See, every time they would come back in and, and Pharaoh would say, bring them back in here. What should I do? Um, tell God to please relent and get rid of this curse. And Moses would say, let my people go. He said, okay, okay, just kill them. And then as soon as it was gone, his heart would harden. And he wouldn't let the people go. So all the frogs died in the land. Guess what it caused? It caused lice. God brings the next curse, lice. And you know what the magician said? Oh, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. We can't do that. Can't get rid of it and can't duplicate it. But Pharaoh's heart was already hard because he had already followed the lion signs and wonders. And he couldn't reverse course. See, when you are looking for the wrong thing in church, in Christ, in life, your heart already gets bent this way. That's why we train children when they're young so that when they get older, they're not already bent this way. Pharaoh's heart is already hard because he's already seen the lion signs and wonders of the witchcraft. And he already trusts the world. He trusts those men. And he will not change his mind now. But some of it is because of God, because the Bible teaches us that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the text says what? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the word is confirmation. You stay in your hard heart. You keep resisting God. And God will confirm your heart and say, okay, now I'm going to use you as a vessel of dishonor. I'm going to use you as a vessel to show my mighty power upon the earth and show you that there's no wisdom or counsel against me. I was thinking about that this morning, and I just think about things, and I go, wow! And I was thinking about the ark and how on the ark there was clean and unclean animals. And the unclean animals were actually there to sacrifice to God, to worship God with. The clean ones were there to repopulate. See, and so the church, we're here to repopulate and make disciples. But the unclean are still here. 
And if they don't change, they can become clean. They can be washed and cleansed. They can become servants. They can receive the Spirit of God. They can begin to walk in the glory of God and go out on the seas and tell others. And then one moment, they're going to be on the other side. In one moment. What vessel are you? What boat are you in? What spirit are you following today? Oh my goodness, I'm getting excited. I got to calm down. This stuff is too good. See, that's why the Old Testament is written. It's so that we'll understand New Testament theology. Because God doesn't change. He's still doing the same thing, always. Redeeming mankind. But He gives us a choice. We get to choose to enter into His works, to rest from ours, to stop chasing self to be led by the Spirit and the Word of God and washed and cleansed and become that which He created us to be? Or we can keep living the way we've always lived and we can deceive ourselves. I heard the truth today and deceived myself. I was listening today and deceived myself and never do anything different. That's your testimony. That's your witness. Never do anything different. It's called dead faith. It's not real. It's lying signs and wonders. The sea arose because a great wind was blowing. That's verse 18. That'd be a good memory verse, wouldn't it? What's blowing? Every wind of doctrine, every lie, every deception of the Antichrist. That storm is going on. You know, COVID was that. It was testing and proving hearts. All of these things are testing and proving hearts. Who am I trusting in? Am I believing in God? Am I trusting God? Am I waiting on God? Am I still afraid of death when God defeated death? Go read Hebrews chapter 2. Chapter 3. I was reading. I wanted to go there. We, we can't go there. It'd be way too much. I wanted to read 1, 2, and 3. I'm like, yay! Because it's this, it's, this, it's this dissertation, this testimony of, I believe, Pauline. Paul wrote it to convince the Jews that were going back to the Jewish culture because they were afraid of losing their, their, their historicity in the church. They were afraid of losing their Jewishness when they were gaining heaven. Are we afraid of losing the things down here when we're gaining heaven? Are we afraid of somebody talking bad at us when we gain Jesus? And he writes this entire book just to prove there's no other Messiah. You can trust this high priest. You can, you can trust his works. But chapter 2 has all of these nautical terms where you're supposed to take the more earnest heed, not allow this salvation to drift by, but you're supposed to allow Jesus to be the anchor of your soul where you tie into that ship and you're there at his dock and you're ready to go in your vessel, whatever he wants you to do. Take the more earnest heed and do the work of the ministry. Get in the boat. Notice these guys are rowing 25, 30 stadia. That's where we get the word stadium from. It's a whole lot of play. They've been working. They're working. They're working in the boat. They said, we're going to the other side. We're serving. We've seen the bread. We get the message. Thanks for the fruit. And they're going. Then this storm comes up. That's what it was. It proved Peter, he gets out of the boat at least. Wouldn't it be cool to have that kind of faith that you could stand up in a storm and go, not so. 
Just say the truth. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation where we're supposed to shine as lights. And the wind is still blowing because the devil has never stopped lying. And God allows him to grow his kingdom too to test the hearts of his people. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw... They see King James. They discern clearly Jesus walking, peripateo. That's just his natural walk. He's walking on the sea. It's nothing new to him. It's what he does. He's in sovereign control of everything, the waters, the governments. There's nothing that stands up, rises up, moves on the planet that God doesn't have sovereign control over. Remember, if you read the other text, he gets into the boat and he says, peace be still. And the waters are like glass. At the voice of God, the elements obey, and yet we resist and we don't obey. But at the voice of God, the whole world was formed. At the voice of God, the, the creation happened. At the voice of God, the wind stops, the water stops. Yet he gives you and I free will. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Oh, that we would have the Spirit of God to lead us so that we could obey God in everything. They saw, they discerned clearly that, it, that, that something was coming. The other text tells us that they thought it was a ghost. They didn't know what it was. They didn't expect Jesus to come walking on the water. Remember, they're afraid of Leviathan. Remember, they're seamen. They know the, those old sea stories and lies. We always think something's getting ready to happen. Oh, I committed that one sin, and I know that God's going to do something bad. That's a lie from the pit of hell. He paid for your sin. He don't see your sin. Your sin just separates your heart from God. It doesn't separate God from you. He's trying to prove us and teach us that he's already given us grace and mercy, that we're covered in the grace, that he will complete the work he started in us to the day of Christ Jesus. If we'll just stay in the boat, don't listen to the lie. Don't get out of the boat and sink and die. He's walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, the ship, and they were afraid. Remember Adam and Eve? They were afraid. We hid ourselves. There's a storm. They're crying out, where's Jesus when we need him? Here he comes. And they say, it's a ghost. He's here. Even in the darkness right now, he's here. And there's no reason to be afraid. Perfect love cast out all fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's nothing that this Antichrist can do to us. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what does he say to them? Verse 20. He said to them, notice he spoke. Are you, are you getting this? When you see that in the text, when he said, but he said, or he spoke, this is God's word. 
This is how he's healed the land. He sent his word to heal the land. When he speaks, you can trust it. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. I looked it up, and because afraid is phobia. You know how we pronounce it? Phobia. It's not pronounced that way in the Greek. It's phobeo. So he says, phobeo me phobeo. He says it twice, phobeo. No fear. Twice. You don't have to be afraid. I am here. I'm in your midst. It is I. Are you looking for Jesus? See, if you're looking for him, you'll find him. But if you're not looking for him or expecting him to come, if you're not really trusting that he is there in your corner taking care of you, in your heart, washing and cleansing you, that he has his best interest for you, he's not here to judge you, he's here to save you, then you're not looking for him. Oh, I sinned, I'm not looking for him. No, you need to look for Jesus in everything that you do. You need to know that he's near. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise. Stop looking for the worst in it. That's why I was looking at this and I go, wait a minute. Everybody always teaches us these baskets is a rebuke to them for not knowing how. How could they know how? They never knew how to feed 5,000 people. That's what they're growing in. That's what they're proving in. That's what their faith is coming from. This was a reward because they obeyed in something that they couldn't see. That's normal. So we need to understand that he's here. He didn't call us and then say, figure it out. He called us and said, follow me. He called us and said, walk by faith and I'll do it for you. Just show up. Just be willing to serve. Just be willing to die to self. And I'll fill your basket. I'll produce the fruit if you abide in the vine. He's not mad at us. He loves us. He knew your sin before you were ever born and he still died for it and he still came and he still gave you the grace to ask him to be your savior and allow you to get into the ship and to allow you to be proved and have the privilege to become children of God. Why would we believe the lie that now he's mad at us? Now he doesn't like me because I messed up. Don't believe the lie. When he told them, Phobia me phobeo, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship. Isn't that cool? Do you understand that he loves you? Are you willingly letting him into the ship? Are you still wrestling with God? Oh, no, I've been fighting with the devil. You're fighting with God. He's here to save you. He's trying to put you in the ship. He's trying to wash and cleanse you. He's trying to get you across the finish line. He's saying, just listen to my voice. I'll do the work. I'll reward you for it. And it was all me. Just be a vessel that I can fill and send to those who need to hear the gospel. When they willingly received him, when they willingly said yes, when they heard his voice, and they willingly, it, it's, it's, a, 
it means determined in their heart. It's a Hebraism for they delighted in and desired to do what he was doing. They recognized the calling. They recognized their identity. They got involved in being a servant and taking the gospel to others. When they received him into the ship, their vessel, at once, they were on the other side. Just like that. They were at land. They were in another country. It could also be translated where they were going. Where their heart was already purposed to go. That's what it means. It, was, it indicates the point of where they were going. The, the result of what was supposed to be. The end of what we were doing. It's at the finish line. What boat are you in? Is Jesus in the boat? Is he in the ship? Yeah, there's gonna, it's dark. Lawlessness is abounding. There's going to be storms. There's more things coming. Expect them. James says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. Not if you do, but when. Count it joy. When you get in the storm, count it joy. God's there with you. He's training you. He's teaching you. He's proving you. He's trying your heart so that you might become a doer and not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. Oh, it actually talks about the great sea. If you go look it up, the temptation in there where he says that he tries you and proves you and you get the wisdom from God, it's so that you pass the great temptation. And when you look up that word temptation, it means the great sea. Look it up in James chapter 1. And then it says, don't, don't say that God is the one tempting you because God cannot tempt anyone to do evil. But we're led away by our own desires, our own deception, our own desires. And when it becomes full-blown, it brings about death. That sin becomes its birth, and then it becomes full-blown, and then it brings about death. We're on this great sea. We're in the fellowship, and we're going to the other side. You can receive that word. He's going to get us to the other side, no matter what storm is going on in your life. If you're in Christ, you will get to the other side. He's promised to complete the work he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. But you can be involved and have the privilege of and have a full basket full of fragments of bread to hand out and tell others about this and be a witness instead of a victim. You don't have to be a victim anymore. You don't have to be in bondage anymore. What Christ has set free is free indeed. He promised us we're going to the other side. Soon and very soon, we're going to go see the king. The boy said to him in one text, Carest thou not if we perish? Like, dude, that's the reason I came, so you wouldn't perish. That's the reason I came, so you could have life. That's the reason I walked out here on the waters and became flesh, so you can have life. And then we still question God if he cares. Everything that he's doing is to get us across the finish line. Are you ready to go? Are you being equipped? Listen, serve others. Give yourself away. 
and it'll be a witness and a testimony of a life that's changed because the world doesn't tell you that and the world doesn't give you the power to do that and they can't take it away unless it's self-deception. Father, thank you that by your power and your might for your glory, we can become doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the voice of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've revealed it to babes. Thank you, Lord, that you've revealed it to the least of these. Lord, send us to the nations. Give us a desire to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Let it be a fire in our bosom, Lord, that we have to let out so that others can be set free and transformed by the renewing of the mind so they may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of yours. Thank you for such a great salvation. May we not drift away and let it slip past us and we float upon all the waters of the world or the seas of the world. May we anchor in, Lord. Thank you for your son being the anchor of our soul. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?